Hey everyone, this is Mike Joseph, and I just wanted to say that I hope you enjoy the episode you're about to listen to. If you do, I kindly ask that you tell a friend about detoxicity. Even better, please rate, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you're using to listen. I'm always on the hunt for new and interesting guests, and I like keeping in touch with those of you who listen. So, if you have a recommendation for a guest, or if you just want to know what I do day to day, follow me on Twitter at Tis Mike Joseph, or on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, or both. You can even email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. On a less self-promotional tack, I really hope that you and yours are keeping yourselves and others safe during this pandemic, and even if you listen to this after the pandemic is over, there is no greater quality, in my opinion, than people who are empathetic and kind to others. Hell, it's a big reason I do this podcast in the first place. Enjoy the show, and be well. Varghese Chaco is a 15-year veteran of the music industry and is currently the founding partner of NYC Nightlife United, an organization that supports cultural businesses affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. They prioritize local black-led companies, staff, performers, and allies who create safe spaces for POC and LGBTQIA communities. In our chat, Varghese and I chat about the need for organizations like his and what we might expect when nightlife slowly returns to whatever the new normal is. We also chat about Varghese's experience as a first-generation American and the culture clash between his traditional Indian family and the more liberal American culture. Uh, Varghese recently turned 40, hooray, stopped drinking temporarily, hooray, and started working out for the first time in 20 years. How the hell does he manage all that? Especially in the nightlife business, which is presumed to be a party every minute. Let's listen and find out. Hi, my name is Varghese Chaco, and I am the founding partner of NYC Nightlife United. And I'm happy to be here. So thank you, Mike. Sure. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. Talk a little bit, I guess, to start about NYC Nightlife and what that's about. Yeah. So pandemic hit the entertainment, live entertainment space fairly significantly, you know, almost as an extinction level, not for the industry, but definitely for a lot of local businesses and myself being a part owner of a local uh, festival production and marketing firm with the Bell House and Union Hall, we were obviously affected as well. And so fairly quickly, as we have been doing, I just have been online and ended up meeting some pretty stellar folks from Friends and Lovers and Ad Hoc, a couple other local uh, independent entertainment businesses in the city, and realized that there was a need to try to help our colleagues out. And so we initially kind of came up with uh, the concept of raising funds for local businesses as well as their staff and other related employees, security, you know, bartenders, door people, promoters, other other collectives, creative collectives. Because as you know, the, the entertainment space is obviously has got a lot of different facets to it. So we fast forward about 10 months and we've been able to raise, we, we issued $100,000 in grants to 60 local businesses. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And professionals. And just iterating that we have definitely been learning as we go. You know, even with Black Lives Matter, it's always been an issue. Myself being a person of color has definitely felt it, but I think that crystallized momentum. And so we chose to focus, while we focus on all independent businesses, our priority is Black-led businesses, as well as allies that create safe spaces for POC and LGBTQIA uh, communities. And so it's been good. And I think we're looking at 2021 with really focusing on the individual. Mental health is a really big one. Skill shares, you know, how to do my taxes, as you know, as many of our industry are 1099 contractors and things like that. So 
it's the proof of concept has been good is, you know, it's definitely bolstered the efforts. And I think now looking ahead into, you know, we went from survival to recovery and now we're, you know, somewhat survival, but moving into recovery and reopening. And so really kind of taking the purview of what does it look like one, what is an equitable nightlife and entertainment space, which is driven primarily by, I would say, innovation driven by black creatives. You know, what does that look like in one to five years? And and so I think it's been, it's been a good exercise. And as I, you know, personally have been looking at other professional opportunities, being able to throw my efforts full force into something that is caused that I that not only affects me, but I believe in has been a godsend from a selfish uh, standpoint, because I don't sit still well. <laughs> I relate to that very strongly, Vargas. So to how did you even get involved in nightlife to begin with? Like, what was the the impetus for you to say, hey, I want to be involved in, in venues or co-own a venue or anything like that? Like, I, don't, I feel like a lot of people don't even consider the back end when we're talking about entertainment. Right. So for you to end up there, was that planned or was it just like I was doing all this other shit and I wound up there? For the sake of transparency, I would say a mixture of both. But I would I would credit the nucleus of my career in in entertainment as starting out as a fan. Music was a release. I remember being in India and bouncing around my great grandmother's you know beds, you know, bounce like banging like Michael Jackson on cassette, you know, and like Poison, you know, admittedly Guns and Roses, and just really a lot of the pop music of the day of the eighties, and then I think. When I got into high school, going to shows really just opened my eyes uh, to just the, the the sheer creative velocity that I think live music at least brings my soul. And so, you know, that is kind of how it started. And you know, I was always kind of intrigued by events, gathering people is kind of in my blood. And I think from the events perspective, it's been something that's always been a joy to me. So I think marrying my creative passion of seeing live music and then my ability and and desire to kind of gather people led to opportunities. For me, it was starting out street teaming and flyering when I came to New York, just trying to get into shows for free because I was working at like Tower Records. <laughs> right know? on. Fellow, fellow Tower Records alumnus. Oh, nice. Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Lincoln Center. Oh, that's the nice one with the escalators and all. <laughs> yeah. And we I was down and it was my first job in the city when I moved. I graduated and moved to co- um, after college and it was down in the East Village. Right on. Fourth yeah. and Broadway. Yeah. 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 Very cool. I see. Yeah. It, 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 the world is small, my friend. Right. Right. <laughs> so that leads to me in a, a couple of different directions. One is the community aspect of gathering people. And I did a podcast a while back with uh, Curtis Powers, who runs the Face Radio in Brooklyn, Mm. and he introduced himself as a connector. And community is something that's really important to him. It's something that's really important to me. And community can encompass so many different things. What is the value in community for, for you? I think it starts from a place of, you know, Honestly, just the, I think the, I don't want to be so highbrowed about it because I think, <laughs> you know, it started out wanting to be included as a kid and and really that growing into, you know, a desire to be able to be as inclusive before I even knew what that word was, right? It's like if I was 
wanted to throw a birthday party. I wanted to, you invited everyone. There wasn't just for at least me that was growing up, you know, at least in elementary school. And that really developed into finding what your own community is. And I think having a mix of being a first generation American citizen with parents from India, I had a whole community of people from church that were all Indian. And that was kind of my, my crew growing up. And then I had senses of community in school, you know, neighborhood, as you say, it really evolves of however you want to define, I would say a group with some sort of commonality. And so I think over the years, I think it just really evolved into just, and, and I think I've only, you know, within the last several years kind of come to realize what that really means. But I think generally speaking, I do think that it's while communities are great and they can foster such amazing connections, I think I generally am of the minds that I, I tend to want to be a part of the commu- of communities that have a seat for everyone at the table in the sense that anyone that's open to becoming a part of that community, whatever that is. And obviously there's communities that I won't be a part of uh, the LGBTQIA space in the sense that I'm an ally, but I don't want to misrepresent you know, my position or take up space where it's not where I should be paying, respecting those that are actually most central to those communities. So I think it, but even still in these, I found myself taking part in, you know, everything is minutia of opening myself up to other communities. There's a, there's a black bike riding group that I was like, dude, this looks dope. I love bike riding. And like I am dumb to make sure, you know, to check if it was okay, if I was, you know, a non BIPOC, you know, rider and they were totally open. So I think some communities want you know keep it tight, and that's fine. I think personally, community to me is being able to be a part of a group that's always open to having new people arrive wherever their background is, and if not, at least being uh, mindful that there are other communities that I think, as we're seeing these days, don't necessarily vibe with your communities. That's right. Um, you know, and so I think I would just want to just focus on the fact that there are without getting political i think it's it, it's that's personally where my drive for it is is the, the nightlife community in and of itself has so many different facets and and i think so you can kind of get into these microcosms and and that's great but i think overall it's just from a from a personal standpoint it's definitely a, a focus of mine to really just focus in on those communities that that i can kind of add something to and that i can bring to the table even if it's my ears to listen and shut the hell up and learn but I think being sure that they're, they're welcoming, because I think when you get into the whole like, it's one thing to be like, hey, you know, you're not part of this demographic. And so, you know, be tread lightly or be be respectful, even if, you know, you are part of those communities, you should be. But I think it's another thing to actively disengage or disavow another, you know, another community's viewpoint because of some kind of friction there. And I think lies what a lot of what we're seeing. And personally, I've never been it's there's never been any progress made when, you know, you're just blatantly you know stereotyping one group or another and that's true for both open-minded people and closed-minded people i know what you're trying to say <laughs> right right <laughs> you're you're a person of color and it's one thing i'm thinking about right now is my folks are from the caribbean and to see somebody like you i think the initial like the initial thing that would kind of put the light bulb on in their head, and they'd be like, "Oh, that that guy's Trini," because I'll a take lot it. Of, yeah, <laughs> a lot of guys. I mean, there is an Indian element in Caribbean culture, and mm. most Trinidad, a lot of Trinidadians, mm. um, do resemble you know people who are are from India. Is there? I mean, 
So you came to the country as a teenager or like late teens or college? No, I was actually, my parents came here in 74, had my sister in Illinois, and then I was born in New Jersey, actually. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So I'm a a mall rat. Okay. All right. So you're first generation, like American born. Yes, sir. Okay. Right. Okay. I am also. So, you know, there's another point of contact between us. That experience is so hard to explain for two two people sometimes, and it puts I can't speak for you for me, it puts me in a weird spot where my upbringing, where I come from, the people all the people that I know older than me or that I knew older than me growing up were from the islands were from Aruba or wherever it was but they also totally see me weird because I'm American and I have American customs and sort of an American value system, which has become significantly more pronounced as I've gotten older. Do you ever feel like being stuck between stations almost? Very much so. I think it's a, it's been kind of a struggle. And let me rephrase that. It's been a challenge, I think, because growing up personally, I was like, I don't want to be different. You want to fit in. You, and I you know, grew up in New Jersey in the suburbs, not many people of color. Generally, I was like one of two, if that, you know, brown people. And so I think there is that dichotomy, dichotomy because I think white people are like, well, I don't see color. And I remember hearing that and I'm like, okay, because I was just a spazzy, you know, Jersey kid that just ate a lot of sugar and rode his bike <laughs> everywhere and loves French fries, still do. But I man, think, potatoes are great. They really are. <laughs> I had some for lunch. Yeah, you got that. <laughs> right. But I think it's the, it's the Indian side that I think sometimes I felt it more because I think growing up, I didn't, I didn't. I could relate to my friends there, obviously, but I couldn't relate to the culture as a whole. You know, I think there was a, as I was thinking about this, this uh, podcast and, you know, just kind of going over some of the topics and just doing some, 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 I don't know, mental checking and reaffirming of some thoughts. I think it's only until recently where I've kind of been able to embrace in a, in a bit more of a complex manner, what, you know, it's kind of like you taught, you speak in these communities and it's, And it's kind of interesting because you don't necessarily, you're part of a community, but sometimes the community thinks things differently than what you might believe in. Mm -hmm. And Indian culture is a really great example of, you know, it's very patriarchal. And I think that to me, I was raised by my father and my mother and my older sister. And I can tell you my mother and my sister are the two strongest women in my life. I sometimes fear them, not so much anymore as an adult, (laughs) but I don't, I don't mess with them. (laughs) you know and so even you know and that extends to and so then seeing the way that you know the indian culture sometimes can focus on the male dominance of it all being a male and then also having you know pretty being that this is on the record i'll leave it as a very overbearing father i love him to death uh but he was super strict and so i think in ways that i couldn't relate to you know you could chalk it up to my 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 energy levels, but I think generally speaking, there were just like ways that we saw different life differently, and so I think that there it was a challenge because I was like, well, f that, I don't, you know, I don't not f that, but I was more very, I would, it, it's it was easier for me to just shed the entire culture and just pretend like you know, I, you know, just pretend that I was white, and not that I ever actively did that, but I definitely didn't play, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily preaching about my Indian side of my culture versus. 
you know, in Indian culture, they describe essentially all white people as Americans. And I don't want to say all Indians, but first generation kids generally in America, Indian kids, their parents will more often than maybe it's just, you know, my segment of it, but they will just, you know, they'll describe other white people as Americans. And I think there is that dichotomy of like, you know, it's, they may be citizens, but you know, the motherland is their home, which I totally get, you know, expats kind of vibe. And so I Mm -hmm. think being mindful of where only recently being able to realize the complexities of my culture, my background, and being able to be a bit pick and choose where I kind of plugged in and not necessarily disavowed things that I wasn't down with. I think that's been a bit of a a, a learning uh, curve for me, especially recently, I think. The idea of wanting to assimilate that that's also part of my story and it's a really there's a lot going on there and i actually feel i'm not sure how old you are but i predate the internet in a lot of ways and i feel like the internet and social media has created this space where acceptance of a whole bunch of different cultures now is kind of cool while before that or whereas before that if you were not what everybody saw on tv you know if you weren't if if you were anything different from the monoculture you were weird and no one wanted to be weird so there was this sort of pressure to assimilate like did you is that part of what you felt because that's that's kind of what i'm getting yeah, I think there was that monoculture idea, but I th- it's also one of those things where how do you know otherwise if you weren't r- like exposed to it? And this is coming from a first-generation perspective where I was exposed to it, but if you see a dominant majority that there has, has a complete lock on representation, at least in popular media and, and government representation, you know, pretty much in all of the power powerful ways that you could imagine you take it as a acceptance of normalcy. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, white people rule the world and their standards of beauty and their, you know, are and their their, you know, their opinions and what have you are kind of what are are guiding factors. And I speak very bluntly about that, but as a five year old or five to fifteen year old, you know, I was just a virgin trying to figure yeah. out so I think it's there was definitely that aspect of, you know, that monoculture and trying to, you know, fit in. And I think, you know, it goes into, you know, I, I think that the assimilation aspect of it is, is something where, you know, when my friend said, Oh, I don't see you as an Indian person. They were totally like, these are my homies. And this is, you know, I think before we all evolved a bit, but I, you know, when we were younger, but I think that ethos, I was happy to hear that. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be different, you know? And this is coming from a kid that was like embarrassed that his house smelled like curry for it. Now I'm like, my mom's got the best cooking in any like uh, around, even in our Indian circles. But growing up, those these little things add up, and you know, I it, it's definitely something where it goes both ways. Because then, you know, even now, you know, my wife is a Jewish woman. Well, she's non-practicing, as she'd like me to say. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, I think that's something where my Indian culture was like, well, that's weird, you know. And it was a big deal that a priest didn't marry us. Well, rather, a priest did, but not the priest from our religion, because religion played a really big part of our culture. That's kind of like the backbone. And I'm like, mazel tov, like whatever you want to believe in. And as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, else, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I think, you know, it's helped 
that sense of faith has helped my parents get through a lot of hard times. And I'm totally down with it. It's not something that's for me, but I definitely tried it. And I think it can cut both ways. That's why the the malleable nature of the sense of community is great. So it can have so many facets and be complex. But also, if you don't have the the self-awareness, I would say, to be able to place yourself in these communities, or at least be able to engage with them in the ways that I think are best for both the community, as well as yourself, because I think therein lies also something where it's like, by definition, a community is a common, you know, it is a group of people, right? And so it, the one becomes us. And so I think thinking through it as a less of a self-serving me, 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 and more of a us, that feels great. But then I think there generally will come a responsibility to that, that I think uh, is important. And I think sometimes assimilation is like a, is almost like a, a bunt into, <laughs> into these communities because, and uh, part of the sports analogy, I'm not really into that, but <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> but I think that's kind of, cause it's, it's more like, well, if, I, you know, if I sense this dominant culture, monoculture, as you um, stated, I think being like that monoculture is how you get in and how you find that acceptance, right? And so I think it's really challenging, uh, I think, as a kid, you know, with having kind of the feet in two worlds and not really knowing where you belong, on t- layered on top of just a general growing up kind of thing. And so I think it's taken me a while to f- figure that out, and, and I'm less downtrodden by it but i'm more uplifted by looking at the journey and seeing where i'm at now because i see life as an amalgamation of experiences so i'm pretty stoked on at least the knowledge that i've been able to you know be able to understand and and also respect the stuff that i don't know and shut the hell up when i don't and just listen which i think is important when trying to figure out because i think when you're assimilating, it's like you're shutting the hell up and just going with the flow or and just kind of being a passive person. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not all assimilation, but in the sense of what I'm speaking about growing up yeah. versus, I think, being a bit more active and more intentional, I think, is something where as a kid, you're not thinking about that. You know, you're just trying to ride your bike or, you know, get good grades or not piss off your girlfriend or your parents or boyfriend or whatever it is. So <laughs> I think as you, as those senses, as those communities develop and what have you and figuring that out, I think that's a big one. But I think seeing it less of a, you know, even being in these spaces now, I can tell you 40 years of existence, only now am I sensing my diversity is an asset. I was, I was like, actually thinking about that too, but I cut you off. Go ahead. No, that was, it, it just kind of, it's just, it's it just one of those realizations that I'm constantly realizing because it's such a rarity at least in, 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 in the entertainment space, which is a problem professionally. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, I think New York has blessed me with a group of really diverse friends. But before that, it was pretty, you know, it was fairly white. And I, I love my homies. It's just great to kind of get it where I'm not the other. I'm just another. And I think that is, is something where now we're getting the levels of where it's, it's, it's being celebrated. And, and I think, or at least valued. Valued, uh, yes. Value is a good word. Yeah, and so that's a, that's a that's a really great new feeling that I'm still like, whoa, uh, <laughs> what, do, what do I do with this power? <laughs> it is an interesting feeling to sort of come from a world where you try so hard to fit into something, and I can at least personally speak to this from a racial and a sexual minority context. Then there's a point where the light bulb switches on, and you're like, oh. I, instead of trying to be this thing, I can be myself and add even more value to this situation by <clears throat> by being myself and speaking my mind or in talking about my experiences as opposed to 
you know, trying to fit into a very common experience that I wasn't really a part of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It almost like allows you, I mean, personally, it allows me to own all of these other facets that are fairly unique to myself, or at least a combination of these facets where I'm like, well, if my diversity from a racial standpoint is now being acknowledged or valued, you know, all of these other things that I always wrote myself off as being weird and everyone thinks they're weird or different or special or do, you know, do they're, people they're life- special. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think the whole like culture of like nerds being cool. Yeah. And, like the, I think that's a little surface, but you know, I think special, but you know, being able to own that at the end of the day, there's only one, you know, there's only one mic, like, right? right. Well, no, there's multiple mics for you. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that is your biggest power, right? Like that, like that's what you bring to the table. And so it's like, there's only one Varghese. And, and so if, if anything, the only, if your superpower is that, then like, and you're able to see the light of in spaces where it's being valued, I think that then gives you the onus to then be like, all right, what, like, what are these other things that I think might have been something that I was trying to, like, because if you, when you say fit in, I imagine that means that you're personally that, you know, you're almost sanding parts of your way of yourself into an image that you think should be there versus everyone always needs to be learn and grow and refine. But I don't think it needs to be at the cost of wiping anything away. It should be an additive process of learning versus uh, I need to shave off something to kind of be able to fit in more. It's like, well, I need to maybe figure out what the onus of that, you know, what, what drives that. And as long as it's a healthy habit, run with it, you know, and I think your strengths are your weaknesses, right? It's like, I love to talk. Sometimes I need to shut the hell up. <laughs> like there, it, there it is. And I think I've always been mindful of that, knowing that, but then also to now that being able to pick up those insecure things that you might be insecure about, you know, your skin color, the way you look, you know, the way you, you know, all any of it, you know, I, I think that I think that it becomes a more powerful tool to be able to engage with yourself, which then in turn, I think levels the playing field for the way you engage with communities, because at the end of the day, knowledge of self is so important. I think, you know, looking out for number one, never at the expense of number two, you know, that's something that one of my best friends has told me, and it really stuck with me, where I'm like, you got to be not right with yourself, but at least be at peace with where you're where you're at and where you'd like to go. Because that then colors how you're going to interact with anyone um, outside of your own mind. I love the looking out for number one without forgetting about number two. I think it's important in some situations to be selfish. And I think that there's a way to be selfish and selfless at the same time. So, So that's a really good way to say that. I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, with the work with NYC Nightlife United, it's like thinking about you mentioned like, you know, people don't think on the back end of entertainment. And for me, throwing like a 150,000 person festival work, it's countless hours and months of, of work and thousands of staff. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, it's my job to know all of those facets. So it's not your job to think about that. Ideally you come on site, you being the proverbial, you know, audience member. But I think there's a lot of people that are not as privileged as us. So you're thinking about a lot of these 1099 staffers and barbacks and minority minority back of house staff in a lot of hospitality businesses. I mean, even thinking about that. So it's been something where I find it to be a privilege that I can sit here, speak to you on a Sunday afternoon on my laptop with a roof over my head about this or about life when people are like, I don't know how I'm going to survive. So for me, while I'm still not 
financially flush. Let's, <laughs> let's put it that way. Understood. I consider it a privilege in the sense that my socioeconomic standing allows me to be able to then focus on the other. And to me, that's something where I can personally contextualize it because that's in my industry. And I've, and I've personally hired thousands of people, hundreds, but across the festivals and the world of the ones that I've done, you're talking about a large scale engagement. And that's just one industry of my experience. And so it makes me think of the need beyond that. And so it's kind of like take a small bite and take small bites and baby steps and see where you can affect change the best. And so I think the ability to kind of really help the community out, I think has been something where it's, it's, it's been good because you sent you, your sense of community, it, it bolsters all, I think all sides, right? The person getting help is getting the assistance that you need. And then you being able to be um, altruistic. I think that is just karmic energy going out into the world. And I'm a strong believer of, you know, my spirituality is based on that sense of karma. The energy that you put out is what it comes back to you. But at That's this right. point, I'm old enough to not worry about what's coming back to me because I know that it's just going to hit me in the face however it hits me. But ideally, I have the grace and the support system to deal with the ups and downs that I have because hopefully my energy has been good on the output. But really, it's, it's less of a, you know, I don't see it as a one and one or a, a causation. Right. Uh, it's more of like, a, and even a, at a correlational level, it's more just like you know and they just being able to help because mainly i've been at that point where i've needed help and i've been helped and you're like well god damn if i can do that for someone else uh, and i'm blessed because of that you know and so i, I i'm gonna do that at, to the best of my to, to my ability and so mm-hmm. i think yeah it, when you're thinking about one's self-identity i think you know sometimes looking externally will kind of be able to help you figure some of those questions out of like what the hell am i doing what do I want to do? Who am I? You know, what is our purpose kind of situation? Empathy. Yeah, basically. So I love going to shows. I, I, I certainly have to do it as part of my day job. And I've probably been to, I would say, lowballing it a thousand shows in my life. And I think of nightlife and I think of going to concerts and going to comedy shows, which is something that I only recently started doing. And I think of when I was <laughs> too young to be doing so and <laughs> going out to like Tunnel and, right. and a lot of those places. So, you know, I had my brief phase as a club kid. I can see that. Really? <laughs> I, you know, it's weird for me to even like see that in, in the background sometimes. You seem like you have fluid interests. I get a sense yeah. that you've, you've, you, your interests have run a lot of gamuts in a good, positive way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I so being a native New Yorker and saying the tunnel, yeah. um, I got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not native, but you being a native, I think yeah. I'm like, yeah, because that was, that was where the cool kids went. Yeah. And as much as those experiences bring me joy, the two things I often think of when I think of nightlife in general are from a, well, one, from a professional perspective, just the idea of like being out all night and, you know, that being your job. And also that leading to potential substance issues mm-hmm. as a, as a professional and as a show goer, concert goer, club goer, whatever it is, how, and you seem like a pretty clean living living brother. So, you know, let's just say that I enjoy a good party. 
On that point, it's funny because I wasn't actually thinking about really even mentioning this, but to anyone publicly, but, uh, you know, I haven't, you know, come March, it'll be like a year of me not drinking. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Um, Yeah. And so it's kind of one of those things where, you know, different strokes, different times. But I think in the industry where you, your industry is to essentially proverbial party, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a slippery slope. It's definitely a slippery slope. And I think the mental health aspect of it in recent years, it's just been a way to get off steam. Not in a I'm angry way, but just more like, cool, I worked like 19 days in a row. I'm going to go after it and just kind of unplug a little bit. And I think those kind of things get slippery because generally most of the businesses that I'm I'm involved in, their revenue is based on alcohol sales. Right. (laughs) So it's directly uh, tied in. How do you personally sort of maintain about because you have a wife yeah and if i would imagine in even the most liberal of relationship circumstances if my partner's gone for 19 days or working (laughs) like 19 days straight i'm be like all right something has to we need to balance something here you know i mean so like how do i balance it is that the question yeah yeah Yeah. how do you balance it how do you take care of yourself also in a culture and this is not exclusive to the nightlife industry or the right. music industry that will put you in a place where you're just going, 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 going until you drop. Right. You know, knock on wood, I haven't dropped yet, but I, <laughs> I'd probably, uh, I probably pushed the line a couple of times. And I think like that 19 day in a row, you know, you kind of, it's kind of, you hope that you, you figure out your boundaries before you reach them. <laughs> ideally ideally <laughs> creation is good in certain contexts but i think you know I, I i mentioned that more like on like the sexuality or what have you like i think you know that there's many places of exploration to find your boundaries but i think from a chemical and partying standpoint you want to figure out your boundaries before you before get you that. od yes right and there are times where there's you know i can tell you with my personal experiences you know there's no way that people i can tell you what you to expect in such circumstance of going to tunnel or it, ingesting something or what have you, but no one's really going to be able to encapsulate it except until you try it or don't try it. But I think it it's still, you can, you can get all the knowledge you can, but I do think that it's important to kind of try to figure out that balance. Hopefully you're surrounded by good peers. I think that's a big one. You know, generally for me going out and partying is more of a social thing. You know, I'm not really much of a hangout. I mean, I love a good house party, but, you know, I think it's really just making sure you're around the right people. And, you know, I think, uh, to be honest, it's something that I'm, uh, as I mentioned, you know, at the age of, you know, 39, 40, I decided to not for any, you know, high minded reason, but to just be like, you know what, I'm going to just chill on booze and see what's up. And so I think. It just, it's just figuring out what works and what doesn't. And, you know, I think, like I said, just really trying to figure it out before you hit a dangerous boundary. And I, that goes hand in hand with, I think a lot of times people are having a beer after work or, you know, smoking a joint or what have you, which is totally awesome rocket. But I think it goes hand in hand with maybe also your external life boundaries, right. Of being able to set those, set those, which professionally, you know, generally like last man on last man standing kind of situation, <laughs> which in light life is tough in New York is at the 4am close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an evolving, I think, thing. I think, you know, the balance to me to be totally, totally honest is really is I've, I've come to generally 
be respectful of it when it's affected other parts of my life in a blatant way. Okay. So I may not have dropped or reached a boundary, but it might have affected things like I'm tired during, you know, because I've been going to shows five days a week. Or I remember back in the days of CMJ, you'd be going to like six to eight, ten shows. <laughs> right. And I love going to shows. But yeah. even in, And this is like in my 20s. And even then I was like, damn, this is a lot of shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for those who don't know, was a like a four-day New York-based festival for mainly new artists. And it would, yeah, it would be Tuesday to Friday, just, and then through the weekend. Right. Just, it, it felt like one long, long day. Right. Of, of showcases and, and, and shows and so on, so on. And very, very cool stuff. Yeah. But it would, if you let it, it would wear you out. And so I think... You know, that's kind of how I've reached or at least the perception of my boundaries and then found myself to act, And which I guess in some levels is allowing the boundaries to, that's me reaching my boundaries, right? It's it's affecting something, maybe, you know, yeah, it's, it's affecting some aspect of my life. I guess it just, I've, you know, hopefully stayed on the side of just it being, you know, obviously I've had my stupid moments. I'll be the which first to do. admit, right? Yeah. But I think, you know, being able to kind of reach them before it gets out of hand or becomes a habit or anything like that, I think. But it's it, it, our, like I said, it, it's in our business. Our business is to is kind of entrenched in that. Even going, you know, the, recently, you know, since having not drank, it's like, you know, what's before a pandemic? It's like, well, what did you do to meet up with a colleague? Go have a drink. Right. <laughs> and it's right. like generally, actually, all of the people that I'm going, you know, that I, that I associate with aren't going to be like, well, why aren't you drinking? But it's a, such a socialized thing where you're like, you know, let's grab a drink or what do you want to do? Let's go to the bar. So I think it, it's a challenge definitely already. But then, you know, I think being that our specific industry, it's definitely more of a, of a challenge. But once again, I've generally tried to stay around people that are less of a, you have to do something to, to hang so there, there has been that ability to kind of not necessarily be forced to feel obligated to. Right. Yeah. I, I, some people never, some people don't seem to ever learn that. Right. Which, and then you end up with people that are in like a Keith Richards scenario where you're like 150 years old and you're trying to keep up with the 30 year olds who are just like pounding shit. Right. It's just like the one sense is the amazement of how do you do something like that? Right. And the other sense is, how come you didn't drop dead like 70 years ago? Right. I was watching Wolf of Wall Street last night, and I'm like, how's this dude still, like, yeah. it might have been embellished, but obviously there's always embellishment when someone's, re, re, you know, retelling war stories of partying. But I think, yeah, it is it is interesting to think about that. I, I also just want, yeah, Keith Richards, man, dude's still ripping butts. and Yeah. It's just, like, it's just there's something about his constitution, whatever right, right. it is, that is like, he could... Somebody should have him do security or something like that. Because <laughs> I feel like he'd be able to just like have bullets bounce off of him and shit. Right. Like I, it's crazy to me. Like, what is your self-care regimen? When when you've been riding it too hard, which, you know, I mean, is still happening for a lot of people in COVID times, even though nightlife isn't happening, you're obviously still do, doing a bunch of things. What what do you do to make sure that you don't that everything doesn't just feel like heavy? on top of you in addition to everything that's going on culturally and politically generally it's entertainment and like culture has been a release point for me so being able to engage with it go to a show even though i work in it is is something where like going to see a gallery opening or checking out you know a new restaurant or something like that tends to be 
interestingly, I'm kind of, I'm kind of encapsulating like how it's felt in the last like pandemic times. Right. <laughs> just getting out of the house feels like you're walking on the right? sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. But like, like I went to lunch, you know, at industry city and I felt like I like had gone to Paris and like, <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. I'll have another. But I think really being able to engage with culture um, is on some level, generally like, you know, performing arts or something visual is something that brings, is like a salve for me. It inspires me, it calms me down, it excites me at the same time, which is kind of why I know I'm where I need to be, at least from a professional standpoint, in the sense of where my focus is. And then, you know, working out, which I have not worked out for 20 years, you know, and within, you know, this 2020, I started and that's been really helpful because I what I realize is you know it allows me to like expend energy in a healthy manner I think that's a really key thing for me is is that the healthy expulsion of energy or you know use of energy versus not because I think that generally is where I would go you know it's like oh let's go to five different shows or let's stay at home it's like well if I could pick I would would pick going to a bunch of shows. shows so I think being able to figure out ways to you know, release some of that energy personally is is kind of how I do it. And working out definitely has helped um, so the a lot. Working, the working out for the first time in 20 years, was that a COVID decision? Was that in I'm about to turn 40 situation? You know, I think it was a mixture of both. I think, you know, this started before COVID actually. So okay. I'm thankful because I was able to like get my like borderline 40 year old butt into like patterns that like didn't break <laughs> me where I'm like, all right, like. I might be, I know, maybe I should do modified pushups. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit, like, you know, at home on like a yoga mat and then I'll do like, you know, like ride my bike and stuff. But it started before COVID. And I think it was just knowing that it's something that I've always wanted to do. And obviously, you know, things have, you know, I had some time to be able to kind of dedicate to it. So I was able to kind of get it in. So when the pandemic hit, I was kind of like two months into practice. So I'd at least figured out like what my regimen was, what my cadence was. And so that's kind of, you know, and getting older, it's like, you know, you're kind of setting the habit. I feel like I'm like setting habits that I'm now going to have for like the rest of my life. Because, you know, as we get older, it's like you kind of go into what you know, what you're comfortable with. So I feel like if I train myself to at least feel like I need some physical activity, you know, that'll be a key point. But, you know, general overall, like health and Things that, you know, it's, it's not lost upon me that I quit drinking and then started working out, you know, <laughs> instead Seriously. of being hung over and eating French fries. <laughs> there we are again. Working uh, out allows you to eat more French fries. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I think, you know, it was definitely like, let's, let's, tr- let's try this out. And I had the energy because I wasn't just like, you know, doing the Monday to fr- Monday to Thursday, cool. And then Friday, Saturday, you go out, see your friends and then Sunday, you know, lick your wounds and then back mm-hmm. at it on Monday. That cycle was a bit, you know, had, had, had shifted. And so that was a really big point that I was like, well, I know I have all this energy and I know that I need and, and I want to be healthier. So, you know, it was definitely something where I was like, let's get this in and get it, get it habitual. That I think that was my goal overall. I want to get healthy, but most importantly, I want to be able to make it a habit versus a, like, I don't want to do sit-ups right now. Is the whole turning 40 thing, is that a, a big turning point for you? Like, is it? It's a milestone for sure. And some people take it lightly and some people are like, oh my God, where where did that stand for you? You know, leading up to it, I was just super stoked about having a really massive 40th party. 
no surprises. I enjoy a good party. And so I think it was more of a momentous milestone versus, oh, things are really going to change kind of situation. Okay. But I think, you know, on the back end of it, we, you know, there's been so much, so much introspection that uh, I feel a lot of myself and my peers have, have gone through where, you know, you kind of take stock and you're like, yo, am I <laughs> fully maximizing like what the like what's happening right now with at least myself? And am I seeing this potential and am I using my time wisely? And, and so I've definitely had those kind of thoughts, but, you know, post turning 40. So there's been that, that but, you know, I, I think it, it's been, I guess it's kind of, if you think about it, it makes sense. It's like you get excited about the party and then after the party, you're like, oh, damn, <laughs> right. we're here. Yep. Now but. what are we going to do with it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think back to when I turned 40 and it was a big deal. And it, it it definitely, for me, put me in a space where I was like, okay, this is where life is, not that life is no joke, but this is where you kind of fully realize that the clock is, not to be morbid about it, but that the clock is ticking. Right. And, you know, I want to maximize my time in certain ways that are meaningful to me. Because it's not like I'm 16 anymore and I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't care. Right. It's, right. It's, it's, it's a stage where I think a lot of people do want to make the most of, of their, of their years. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think the clock is ticking. I think, you know, when you said it, like, you know, it's not, I, I almost like it was kind of like unpacking it a bit. I don't see that as a bad thing. Right. It's like the clock is ticking. We've always, you know, it's kind of like when you're younger, you just want to get older and, you know, and now we're, we're here. We're, it's like, and, and I don't, you know, we're grownups. Yeah, we are <laughs> like the, no question. There's no like, you know, the the only thing we got is maybe a midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> you know, but generally we are proverbial grown grownups. But I think the clock is ticking. I think can be seen as also like a like let's go, whatever. Like the confidence that and all of the 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 life that you've had leading up to this. Now it's like all right, let's like what do we do with this? Less of a how much time do I have left and more so I'm trying to at least, ex, you know, extract as much value from the time that I'm like each moment being being present. Yeah. And being and being in the now, you know, it's very easy for me to say this on a Sunday afternoon, <laughs> you know, with you <laughs> on this podcast. But I think, you know, it, it is something that I think there that that sense of turning 40 has definitely struck me where I'm like, OK, you know, it's time. And there's also the cultural things of like. You know, I have a wife and having a kid and get, you know, the house and all that. You know, there's these 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 external cultural benchmarks that I think come along with being a grown up. And so I think the 40 is kind of when that, you know, when it's unargu- inarguably uh, grown up time. <laughs> so there is the, there is those external pressures as well. So it's kind of like a catch 22 where you're like, all right. And then the, 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 the danger of just, you know, which I, you know, try not to, but, com- you know, the comparison game. You're like, oh, well, that person's got a 401k. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I just started flossing. That's a lot to manage. I, I, and it's a game that a lot of people play. Right. And they end up doing things that are not meaningful to them just because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Right. And, you know, it is kind of like, and I think about that sometimes too. It's like, all right, I'm the age that I am. And, I am at this position at this area professionally and I'm making this amount of money and I don't own any property, Mm. but then I'm also like, I don't want to own property. (laughs) Like this is, you know, 
so kind of playing it back and forth in your head and realizing that your journey is your journey right. and should not be looked at in the same vein as anyone else's journey right. is, is, I think is pretty important. It's true. You know, I think it's definitely the, you know, there's no formula for your life, your specific life, right? Individually, like the only formula is whatever your brain wants to it maps itself out to do and is currently doing and is planning on doing and will do in the future. But beyond that, it's like people can tell you what to do and people can support you or not support you uh, or give you good advice or give you advice that worked for them. I think I'm a big fan of like being like, yo, tell me, you know, like not tell me wisdom, but like, what are your experiences and what are some of your pain points? What are some of your success points? So just to have that experience of, you know, being able to hopefully predict or react or, but at the end of the day, my success and pain points are going to be different than yours or even the people I'm comparing myself to. And so I think I've been very blessed to be able to have fire that's kind of kept me in this industry and both, and then both, and then also personally, you know, I, I, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm quite close with the friends and, and the peers that I have and the people that I call homies and that I call my peers. And so, you know, that has helped me guide myself along, but it's definitely something where, you know, I I can't answer, you know, the closest person that I have that is going to guide, you know, where my life goes is my wife and that's my family. And I totally get that. But beyond that, even my parents, they're like, yo, you should be a doctor. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm like, I really like live music. And they're like, no, but I think uh, our industry is specifically my, the live entertainment side is not doing well. So they are concerned, Right. you know, I've put 15 years into it, into, you know, this and, it's something that I believe in, you know, I, I do think, but I can't, it's, it's a challenge to describe it to parents anyway, but then, you know, my parents being from a different country, their sense of art and culture are not as, not as, as like individualized as I think Americans see it. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, and so I think it means something different to them. And so for them, for me to make a career out of that, I think is something where they cannot ever relate to. And that's fine. Right. Therein lies the whole thing of like, I was very clear that I did not follow my parents' standard of progress. And and sometimes they did out of rebellion and just like, you know, like a little cantankerous youth. But <laughs> other, right? I love but, that word. Right. But I think otherwise it's, it's, you know, it's something where they just want to see me stable. They're like, sure. dude, just be safe. You know, you get a, get a runway, hopefully take care of us when we, you know, <laughs> need it. And, be a good dude. And that to me, I think is the biggest thing that I, that I'm, that with regards to my parents, it's like, even when we've disagreed about stuff, I'm like, yo, you know, you, you know, you raise a good kid. And I, I for sure have my faults, but I just want, you know, you raise a good kid. And that's my only mission in life mm-hmm. with regards to my parents, knowing yeah. that you raise a good kid, wherever my output goes and wherever I go and all the mistakes and successes that I have in my life, I, as long as we all are, are in agreement on that, then I think our relationship is 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 at least has solid ground. But they would love for me to be a doctor. Be a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was like my I went in pre-med in college and then quickly switched to, you know, psychology and which I love. And I was, you know, that was a potential f- field that I was looking at going into in grad school. But you know, I think at the end of the day, it, it's like, you know, they'd also probably want me to marry like, you know, an Indian person. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of things. But then, yeah. you know, come around, they're like, look. You, you, as long as you're happy and safe, you know, that that's what they want. And so I think, you know, that that's therein lies where, you know, where, where the, the parent, the parent child relationship. Sure.
you talked about your homies uh, a couple of times over the course of our conversation. Now, are your homies like kind of hang out and and tear shit up, homies, or are your homies like, yo, I really need to talk to you. Some shit is weird, and you can, I mean, in an ideal world, they'd be both, right? But wh- which sense do you look at friendship in? The bo- both. For sure. I mean, I got a million friends that I'm partying, right? I mean, I, usually I'm the one throwing the party, but I think it's the people that are able to be in the trenches with you as well as be at your high points and then be at those middle points. And it's a selfish way of looking at it, like being for pe- the people that are there for you, but it also goes the other way. Where right, it's, it's people the you people are there for. Yeah, exactly. You know, and therein lies that kind of lack of sense of reciprocity and more sense of karma and, and just energy and, and, and wanting and love. My crew and the people that I, you know, that I refer to are the people that I love and that I respect and that got my back when we're knee deep in a fun time, but then also, you know, you know, are lifting me up when I need it and then vice versa. And I think that to me is a, that's, that duality is, is, is love because you can't really have all the positive without the negative. I don't care how cool you are. You, you sort of hinted at this a little, just a little bit ago, but the future of what you do that's in at at this specific place in time as we are recording this that is a big ass question mark it is at least in ellipses you know yeah 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 no <laughs> now you're just getting grammatical <laughs> i'm like wait wait what's an ellipse got it but i know what it is on a keyboard but no it's true my thesis has always been i've done like augmented reality like i've done like the entertainment side and i've also worked um on the experiential side like branded kind of entertainment side with like augmented reality, VR, live streams, things like of that nature. And I personally find that they kind of meld together. And so I think my thesis is that for you to be able to dedicate your physical self to an experience has always been valuable and has been fun, hard to measure unless you're selling ticket sales. But generally speaking, from a from a professional standpoint, it's it's been a very valuable thing, especially with these days where you can fly through, you know, terabytes of, of information and, and engagement and interaction within a millisecond on your phone for you to be able to lift your body up into an experience, to go to a show, to engage with a piece of art, to engage with, even if it's tech and a VR, you're still physically engaging with it. I think that has always been something so valuable. And if anything, now we're seeing how valuable it is because for me to want to give you a hug is like, a godsend that we would be like, Oh my God, like when can I give my homies a pound and just get up in it and just like hug it out or, you know? And so I think that value has only become more so. And so I think how that becomes and people are realizing the value of that. And even, you know, the ability for me to life launch a night, you know, a nightlife related nonprofit, I think would only be able to be encapsulated in a time such as now where people are like, Holy crap, this is important. We see the value in it. Whereas before, people aren't seeing it as a back end, right? Specifically to the entertainment industry. It's a party. It's, you know, it's going to a show and it's uh, nice to have. And I've always felt that it's a nice to have. But I think you had mentioned representation in media and like that's huge, you know, even if it is, you know, in music or art. And so representation is a big one. And I think people being able to see that importance of that and if anything just from a jobs perspective right i don't even want to go down that path uh, right now but i do think there's a tremendous sense of that value and then thinking about hanging out with your family and on christmas you know i was sitting outside on my sister's porch 
you know, in 30 degree weather with masks on and like long johns on, you know, six feet away from giving elbow bumps to like the mother who raised me, you know, my mother. And, and so it's, you realize that physical proximity and engagement is something that's so valuable because now we can't do it. And it's less of a, no, you can't, we're thinking, I think we're seeing the value because we're told we can't, but I've always felt that that value is, is huge. Probably the most important, especially because I don't see digital and tech as a encroachment of that. I see it as an additive of that, where it can enhance these relationships and be able to expand them and the reach of them and what have you. And so I can FaceTime my parents and feel like I'm still chilling with them right. versus the weekly call where I'm like, my dad's like, you get any sleep? And I'm like, cool. Like, <laughs> I love you, dad. And now it's like, I haven't seen them, you know, you know, I, I don't see them as often. And so I think with regards to our profession, I think that's only going to become more so the case. How we do it safely, obviously, is what we're all working towards. But I think you're going to see my personal prediction is the transactional nature of technology is going to be more so. So you're seeing in the retail space where stores are dying and it's like more what's the experience coming into it? Why would you do other than trying to get a feel for the clothes or the te- something in your hand? Is there a cultural point to coming in or is it more of a logistic? And if it's a logistic, I can promise you. There's someone in tech trying to figure out a way to scale that and get mm-hmm. it into, get it into your hand and into your brain, which is great. Like we like totally you and I doing this right now on Zoom and granted it's not new technology, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I do think that transactional nature of tech will kind of be affecting, will continue. So our in-person experiences is it going to are going to be more so culturally related. So instead of going to the store, you're going to be like, all right, Instacart's got me. Why the hell would I leave my house then? So what are those what are those touch points that make people want to engage? Is it church, you know, which is a big one? One, mm-hmm. you know, you know, school, obviously education is another one. But I do think culturally, and whether that means going to see a show or if it's a local meeting of your like key club or something, you know, I think we're seeing that evolution. And I think entertainment obviously is at the forefront of that because our business model is based on physical engagement, at least the live side. So I think, you know, I have hope, but you know, you're gonna see a lot of businesses not make it. And so I think it's it's, it's sad because you're, we're losing a lot of that cultural fabric. But I think overall, it'll, I'm excited to see how the physicality of of humans will kind of evolve and, and, and what that means for us, both for, from a personal perspective, just because I miss a good house party. I mean, I think the yeah. first time I went to a rooftop in June, I like sort of handing out hugs to everyone. And my <laughs> wife's like, Dude, I don't know if that's the best. <laughs> I get it's, it. So what does that look like down the road? Uh, I you agree know. with you. I, there's so much value in communion. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I also, like I love a good house party. I mm-hmm. miss having people over every couple right. of weeks to just kind of hang and talk to each other. But I even think back to going back to like my tunnel days, you'd walk into a, a, a club and it wasn't, I mean, part of it was definitely about like picking up people and, you right. know, being cool and, or, but a lot of it was, it, it was, it was very similar to what people would say they experience at church. Yep. It, and, and that's the type of thing that cannot be made virtual. I could zoom with you until the end of time, right. but I can't give you a hug over zoom. Right. Yep. You know, we can't fully get the experience of body language and all of that stuff in zoom. So there will always be that thing that that technology that technology can't replace. Right. And and maybe trying to 
there'll be less places maybe to have that experience, but I think the places that make that experience the most meaningful are the ones that are going to stay alive ultimately. I mean, we've, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding like a, you know, an elderly person, it's like, <laughs> I personally see to your point, they'll always like, I don't see a future where we won't physically engage with each other unless, you know, something happens catastrophic and that's w- what we're seeing. But I do think that there'll always be a need for it. So what does that look like? And I think the church analogy is an interesting one because I've done, I've been getting into, you know, meditation and sound meditation and things like that where, you know, and there's like vocal meditation where people like do chants together and that kind of sense of, of community, you know, even if it's that community for that period of time of six people in the room or what have you, I think. So what is that physical that physical proximity, you know, what does that look like moving forward? I personally think it'll, they'll, it'll always be there, right? Unless something, you know, we'll always be needing to interact. So why, what is that? What's the, you know, how we, that evolves, I think is going to be something special because even workplaces, it's like, I, I, you know, I imagine you're working remotely and I am too, my wife yes, is, sir. and you know, it's like people are like, Oh, we got to have, got to meetings and you got to, and I, you know, and you got to have those, you know, those chance conversations that kind of create, you know, create awesomeness. But now we're seeing that people can kind of do it without it. But people are like, even my wife's like, bro, like, I don't think you would have ever heard anyone say, I want to go to the office 18 months ago. No. Now you're like, I wouldn't mind a copy machine. Yeah, there's <laughs> a value in it. Right. You know, right. It's, you know, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Thanks, Bargis, for sharing your knowledge with us during this interview. We fully support your love of your homies and your love of potatoes, but we also fully support your emotional and professional investment in New York's nightlife. If you'd like to know more about NYC Nightlife United, your business, and you want to learn about potentially accessing emergency funds, or you'd just like to help out, please go to nycnightlifeunited.com. Uh, you can find Varghese on Instagram at chacolove, that is C-H-A-C-K-O-L-O-V-E. And when bars and clubs open again, you can probably find him walking around a venue near you doling out hugs. So this podcast is all about helping men become better men, sharing stories, talking about being open and practicing being truthful and honest and having feelings and all that good stuff, but done in a way that's maybe not so... I, I want to say obvious about it, or, or it. I don't want it to feel like a, a, an after-school special or anything like that. It's just people conversing, trying to make the world a better place, trying to make themselves better people. So if you support that mission, if you want men to be better, better men, if you want people to be better people, make sure you rate, you subscribe, and you follow this podcast. Uh, we really appreciate your patronage. Uh, we appreciate you listening and spreading the word. I am on social media. Instagram is Detox Pod Guy. Twitter is Tiz Mike Joseph. You can email me even, because people still do that, by the way, at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. If you have a guest that you'd like to suggest, if you want to be on the show yourself, just hit me up. I am here and I am waiting for you, standing by the hotline, waiting for the phone to ring so you can tell me, A, how much you love detoxicity and B, how much you want to be on the show or you know somebody who wants to be on the show or you have constructive criticism or whatever. I just love communicating with people and uh, I'm not being sarcastic about that last part. (laughs) Also not sarcastic about this. As I record this, we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 hellscape. So I really, really want to urge you to... You know, just protect yourself, protect the others around you, wear a mask, uh, social distance, do all that good stuff. Just in the name of empathy and being kind to one another, it's important that we all stay safe and healthy. So please do so. Thank you for listening.